get money? And she said, well, he didn't have enough the first time and yeah. had to borrow some money from me. So it turned out that the reason uh, why this came up in terms of an allegation was her husband had seen her with the having coffee with the driving instructor and he happened to be a very jealous man and, and locked her in her room and wouldn't let her out until she uh, admitted to having an affair uh, but instead of admitting an affair uh, rather she said no he abused me you know he he, he raped me um, and I was confronting him about that on the occasion that you saw me uh, having a coffee with him so of course once the allegation is made uh, regardless of the fact that it arose from an inquisition uh, you know the wheels of justice start to roll slowly so we had a preliminary inquiry and the judge was an old school judge. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days. That's it's so lamentable. Let's yeah. do a toast to the the oh, lost days of preliminary inquiries. Yeah, we I got, guess what I should do is shout out again. Thank you, Justin. We have to, you know, spill it for our <laughs> the spilt tea. That's right. Um, it was quite funny at the end of the preliminary inquiry. Of course, there's enough evidence to commit the man to trial. But the judge, who was a very old-school judge, now long retired, uh, takes the information, looks at the documents, the release documents, and happens to notice that the accused had been released on a promise to appear. And the arresting officer was there, the arresting detective, and so he said, uh, you know, uh, officer, you know, detective, can you tell me why it is that you uh, release this man uh, charged with raping this woman not once but twice on a promise to appear? And before the officer could answer truthfully, which is he thought it was, you know, a bunch of nonsense, the Crown interrupted and said, this is not appropriate and not relevant and so on and so forth. So he was committed to stand trial and... Crown said, yeah, we're going to proceed. The allegation's there. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and then on the eve of trial, the matter was, uh, you know, he had a scheduling conflict and another Crown got the file and he looked at it and said, wow, this is ludicrous. I can't believe that this has gotten this far. And he withdrew the charges. But yeah, again, a those were the days. Yeah. No, but it's a perfect example that making of wrongful accusations has existed for so long. But we had preliminary inquiries then, right? Yeah. Which, which you could then probe the evidence. And, and, you know, it's an obvious point. Somebody who's raped somebody twice, allegedly, is released on. Just to explain, a promise to appear is not when you're released from a judge. A police officer releases I'm you bail. with very few conditions. Right. Yeah. By, if you have to be before a judge or justice of the peace some type of thing will come to later on. But, you know, where you got all sorts of conditions on you, an officer can just release you on a promise to appear to court, which is the lightest of releases possible. But in those days, which wasn't so long ago, which we no. lament, you could have a preliminary inquiry, which was such an important tool to root out all of these types of wrongful accusations, and now that's all gone. Right. But 
That's a perfect well, example. And it also, it spares a complainant uh, from humiliation at the proper trial, you know, when, when things get more intense and so on. Like, if you can eliminate cases that aren't strong, then, you know, there's a benefit not just to an accused person to have a charge withdrawn. Sometimes it, it, there's a benefit for the complainant themselves as well. Well, there's a benefit to the entire system because if you can get rid, you know, we have limited resources. If you don't have, you know, trials scheduled, uh, court space taken up on matters that are clearly not going to result in convictions, then that gives room for more serious, more uh, pressing matters to actually proceed. But your point is well taken. A complainant who normally in a case like that would have to testify before a judge and jury, at a prelim, it's discovered that the evidence is really lacking and doesn't pass the smell test. Or in my terms, the way I describe the legal test, it's bullshit. Um, The charge would be withdrawn and the complainant doesn't have to testify in an open court proceeding in front of a jury of 12 people from the community, which can be very embarrassing. And so that was a very important process to sift out a lot of these cases, and it's gone now. Well, ironically, one of the reasons for eliminating it was to spare this particular type of complainant in sexual assault cases from testifying twice. In fact, doing the prelim often spared them from testifying twice. You're right. You're absolutely right. The irony of it. But it was a knee-jerk reaction. Actually get a a proper example of irony because people misuse that so many times. (laughs) It's a good, I think it's a good example. But, you know, it, it's again something we've said a number of times, which people may be watching this or just tired of us saying it, but it's amazing how our rights have been eroded so badly in the name of some effort to help a, a complainant testify. And it's done, A, an injustice to complainants, but more importantly, it's harmed our due process rights and our fundamental justice rights. And Again, I think we're the only people talking about it. Like, I don't hear much about it. I know. Well, I mean, what's the expression you say is like, uh, you know, the, I guess it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions is right. one of the versions of that thing. But a lot of this... Uh, no, that was not a good intention. Let me make that... I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you because some people complain that I interrupt you too much during episodes. So just get a load of this. But anyways... You should hear what happens when we're not on camera. That's right, when we're working on a case together. But the reality, this was not paved with good intentions. This was actually an intention to create convictions. Let's make no mistake about it. When the federal government decided to get rid of preliminary inquiries, that was not to do any favor to anybody other than enhance the chances of getting convictions in sexual assault cases and to pander to a particular group, which is not a significant voting majority in our population, but it really f***s over a lot of people who are innocently accused. That was the intention. So there was no good intention here. Let's make that very clear. Well, it's to increase conviction rates. Right. Yeah. But um, in terms of, because we were talking about something this week. I'm getting hot into the collar now. (laughs) Oh, you're so hot. (laughs) No, that's a nice suit. Be angry. That's all I'm saying. It's it's a nice suit. That stuff, thank you. That stuff drives me nuts. So so one of the things that we were talking about earlier this week, um, you know, that there's a... Another thing that was put into place to help actual victims of serious crime and so on, people who are particularly vulnerable, and we come across a number of cases like this, where they're new to Canada, they've come in on somebody else's visa, or they're, they're sponsored, and um, they can end up being trapped here. And so there's a, 
uh, if they're a victim of domestic violence, they can get status, they can be safe, they don't have to, you know, get shipped out of Canada, they can be protected, and then also their the prosecution goes through, they testify and all this other stuff. But they're taken care of is the point, right? right? Um, but this is in terms of because we've been talking a lot about motives, um, but you know, and, and false accusations, motives behind false accusations. And this law, well intentioned, and I believe it was well intentioned, yeah, I um, agree. has opened up a new area that can be abused. And we've seen a number of cases like this where um, somebody has sponsored somebody to come into Canada and then they find themselves accused because the person happens to know they can get status in Canada and they can be free. Of the person, and uh, and then they go on a pathway that's horrendous for them. So, we, but we've had a number of cases uh, like this. Through There's the one you want to speak year. about in particular in, in British Columbia, but I, I think was that where it came from? Yeah, there's a really intriguing one that I want to talk about that was before I even met you when I was doing my nonprofit. Uh, let's go. Talk. Let's yeah, go. yeah, talk, and then we'll talk about a couple of the other cases. And, and let's just make it clear for a moment, because we're talking about people who come into the country through our immigration laws, and these are either arranged marriages or other types of relationships that started abroad and came into Canada. This is not about a, a racial undertone here or uh, endemic to a particular group. It's just a, a problem with people and another type of motive that is the foundational aspect of a false accusation. And, and so we talked about and we've been exploring in now, I guess, this third episode of our podcast, you know, false accusations. Well, more than three, but the, the kind of a sequence. Yeah, you're right. About, but we've been yeah. trying to really outline a number of them and make it really stark. Um, and, and this is really a foundational uh, premise for false accusations. And so it's, it's not a racial issue. It's just a people lying piece of shit issue. And, so and there's a number of, you know, different, you know, segments of society who are vulnerable to this type of, of Told fraud. Told I swear right? <laughs> Yeah, just to give a bit of background, though, I guess the, the thing is, under the Immigration Act, um, you know, when a person uh, who's a citizen sponsors somebody else, uh, they can revoke their sponsorship. I'm going to need some more to tell this story. And as a result, uh, obviously, the person who's being sponsored is under the thumb, so to speak, uh, of the person who's sponsoring them. And as a result, there's, you know, well-intentioned, as we said, there's an exception to this provision where a sponsor can, can withdraw your sponsorship uh, and thus make you go back to the country, and that's if you're the, an allegation of domestic or sexual abuse by your sponsor then the sponsorship the the immigration process continues even if you're no longer being sponsored by the person and so on and so forth so it's a way to assist and prevent uh, or try to mitigate uh, the abuse of relationship by the sponsor right and um, but it's ripe for abuse it's potentially ripe for ripe for abuse absolutely because or misuse it's, I shouldn't I don't want to mix up the terms but for misuse, right? So, mm -hmm. right, because abuse of process in. potentially we could call it, but no, I'm getting out of my league in terms of phrases. That's very no, no, specific but, phrase. But so. also because a conviction's not required, as I understand. Correct. So the allegation can be made, uh, regardless of the seriousness of it. Yeah. Uh, they then can maintain their 
status in Canada. The status in Canada. On, all the way on to citizenship. Correct. Right. Yeah. So in this particular case, um, the couple had met, um, the, the family um, had immigrated and gained uh, through a, a lot of hardship. They were high status where they came from. They worked yeah. their way up to get um, to establish themselves. Then their son was just like super busy and, and very intelligent, um, career minded. And he was just like, I don't know how to meet somebody. So they went through their, their own cultural, um, yeah. you know, connections, and connections and websites or whatever for dating profiles. And uh, in Canada, it's seen as an arranged marriage, but it was very specific that um, they, you know, that there was no dowries involved. There was no um, sort of the stereotypical, you know, archaic type of traditions or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that specifically, but it didn't happen in this case. We're not making judgments on that. But. Yeah, and thankfully they had a record of it because that helped them out. Um, but so he traveled and met this woman. She, they both agreed to marry each other, and then um, they got married in their in their country of origin and. Then about a year later is about how long it took for her to get um, all the paperwork done and him to get his sponsorship papers. She arrives here and five days later, um, she accuses him of domestic violence and sexual assault. And, you know, they kept going back and asking, do you have anything else more to say? So the charges kept adding up. Yeah. Right. And uh, <clears throat> so it, it also turned out that uh, there was a bit of a conflict prior to her coming to Canada because um, the accused father had gone back to their country, found out that their family home had been raided by her, and she had distributed their possessions amongst her family. So they had to get a mediator to say, what's going on here, right? So there were a little bit of red flags, but they thought, okay, but they mediated, they worked it out. So she comes here, and um, after five days, there's uh, an allegation against him, multiple allegations against him, and... Um, he's uh, sort of released on his own recognizance, but um, the police come to the house with her uh, a couple of days later, and she knows when they're home and when they aren't home. She spent this five days carefully studying their house, and um, so this is where it gets really stunning. Uh, she comes with a police escort. The mother, you know, discovers from a neighbor that she's there, and so she comes home to see what's going on. The police say get back this is a domestic situation just you know sit in that room and you know don't speak with her or whatever and she watches this woman go upstairs and downstairs raiding their home robbing their home <laughs> and she's like that's not her stuff that's not her stuff and the police go you know we we're not involved in this well, that's we're a just civil matter you guys civil can matter. sort it out later right and uh so then she goes uh, the mother goes and gets a neighbor after she's uh, left with all of these possessions and uh, gets the neighbor to help her photograph the house of all the things that were removed. She'd spent the entire five days casing the home. She stole stuff from the wardrobe of the mother, the sister, um, shoes, dresses, you know, specialized blankets, headphones, Beats headphones, which the judge knew what that was. He goes, they're very expensive. Oh, I know what Beats phone. <laughs> I know. I haven't and, watched uh, the whole documentary about how it became a power. They kept their cash, yeah, yeah. the jewelry, everything. She totally cased the house for the entire five days she'd been there. And she robbed them with a police escort. Yeah. And when we were, when all this was coming out in trial, um, the prosecutor actually said, maybe because he was just drawing a blank on how to defend against this evidence, he goes, well, she's homeless. Don't you think she needed stuff? And the mother, when she was testifying, goes, well, sure, she needs stuff, but not my stuff, not my daughter's stuff. <laughs> 
I can that's tell a, you, he that's was a pri- priceless answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this is important to talk about. So when we talk about these uh, anatomy of a wrongful accusation, this is one of the prevalent type of cases that we see on a on a fairly common basis. There's one that strikes me. You're not with me yet in practice here at this office, but um, and I'm delighted if you joined us, but. Um, I, I, it's hard for me to forget this one. This really nice young guy, he was a, of Italian background. Um, his family were uh, owned a restaurant, and they were all wonderful. They learned how to cook together. They were great chefs. Very warm, lovely family. And he's off to Mexico, and uh, he's there for about three weeks. He's just got to decompress, and he meets this young lady, and they become friends, and then he goes back, and they correspond, and he goes back, and they, they spend time together, and they start to date, and he goes back for a period of six months into Mexico, and he thought about maybe setting up a business there, and they wind up getting engaged. And then she convinces him that, no, it would be best if we go back to your family in Toronto or the GTA, and, you know, because uh, I would like to be in Canada, it's not so great here. And so he says, absolutely. And he buys her a beautiful ring and comes back to Toronto and he does all the work to get her to come here. And he gets her over here and he promises her lots of stuff. And he's like a really, like, like a great guy. Like, this guy really touched me. And um, within about three to four weeks, he, uh, he helps her enroll in a program to improve English and take a college course to pursue the career that she wants to pursue. And shortly after, they start having arguments. And if I'm going on long, I'm sorry, but I want to give context. So she decides to move to the basement of their home, which is his house, which he's owned for about 15 years. And um, the arguments continue. And he says, look, this is not working out. Um, I think you know, we should end our relationship. And of course, what does that mean for sponsorship? It puts an end to it and see you later. You're, you're done. You, you know, the, you start back at zero. 24 hours later, he's got handcuffs on, held for a bail hearing, charged with multiple counts of sexual assault, domestic violence, and voyeurism. And uh, he is an absolute mess. He, he comes to me, and, um, I, you know, the guy was crying. He was just in terrible shape. And it was a horrific case where when you started to peel it apart, uh, it became really obvious what was going on here. And the whole entire foundation of the accusations was a ruse for her to stay in Canada. And the one mistake he made was when she moved to the ba- to the basement, he got upset and he installed a camera. Not in the bedroom, but in the living room area. And technically it's a private area, it could be a charge for voyeurism. But what he discovered was she had a boyfriend. And there was paperwork in an area. So when, when she was out at school, he went downstairs and it was paperwork and it was pamphlets about what to do if you're being abused. And it's like a pamphlet for how to make an accusation against somebody and make it credible. And I'm not saying, you know, frankly, there are people who are truly abused. There are people who are vulnerable in very 
um, uh, cloistered situations where they don't have access. And so they need this type of information. But for people who are you know, adept at trying to source out information, want to make it look real, she certainly availed herself of this. And what was the saving grace in this case was I'm a good cross-examiner. And I was able to use this in other sources of information he I've had. I've seen that happen. Thank you. Good cross-examinations. Thank you so much. I'm going to buy you a coffee tomorrow, even a latte. But, you know, we were able to uncover this. And so he was eventually acquitted. But, you know, he never recovered from this. He never got married. Uh, he lives with his, his mother, who's older now. And uh, that's his life. He just doesn't trust anybody. And he was completely devastated. And uh, it's had that lasting impact on him. But that was a perfect... And we've had other cases uh, very similar. But and, and she got status, and she's living very happily in Canada as a citizen. Mm-hmm. And, and it was demonstrably false. This issue with the camera, though, I want to kind of open up a discussion on this because a lot of people now feel that they have to have cameras around to protect themselves against false accusations. Yeah, that's a good point. But if you have a camera up, you can get accused of voyeurism. Yeah, so Correct. how do you how do you parse this and how do you decide what to do? Where do you cross the the line? Well, I'll, I'll let you chat for well, one. Well, one, don't, don't have a camera in the bathroom for one. Well, don't have in the bathroom yeah. in the bedroom. But yeah. but that said, although that was a real problem and could have could have led to a finding of guilt on that one charge, it actually was a saving grace because I was able to show certain things, including the accumulation of material like. Far more than somebody. It's almost like she had an encyclopedia of how to make a false accusation. I was able to use that material very effectively, which we would not have had had he not done this sort of surreptitious investigation in his own home. And, you know, we need to draw the line where it's for a sexual purpose or it's for an investigative purpose because I'm being f***ed over by somebody who's in my house. Like teddy cams for, for like where you Absolutely. don't trust your nanny or something like yeah. that. But um, that's actually an interesting point with the case I mentioned earlier with this. One of the things that helped him was that he had outside cameras. So while he was allegedly going from physically assaulting her to dragging her up the stairs to sexually assaulting her, there was camera footage from him outside on the phone with his father, which the phone logs showed. And then also him saying, oh, hey, to a neighbor how are you doing? And then having a great friendly conversation with the neighbor while he was supposedly in the middle of a violent assault. So, yeah, Which raises really an interesting issue because people write us, you know, we get emails where it has, you know, they're not seeking to retain us, but they're asking, how do I protect myself against a false accusation when, you know, I'm, I'm having private relations with somebody, but I'm really scared. Like it's, it's amazing how many people are freaked out and how it can freak out other people about, We've talked about the erosion of what is normal relations between individuals, you know, intimate relations that, that, that is things that we thrive on as human beings, but we're watching an erosion of the trust and the enjoyment yeah. and the natural flow to these things. And people are actually thinking like, I want to be with somebody. I want to have, a, uh, you know, but I don't know who I'm with. How do I protect myself? Do I have a camera in my bedroom? Like, it's not a joke. We get these questions. Yeah, absolutely. They're legitimate. And, and then it erodes, like, the trust going into trying to create relationships, and it makes it harder to actually bond with somebody because it's almost like the whole conspiracy thing. I, th- I think we were talking earlier about having clients that have conspiracy theories and stuff like that. It's, uh, 
you know, there are actual reasons to have what would be called conspiracy theories or whatever, because there are strange things going on in our world right now, too. But um, how are we going to restore normal male-female relationships? Or male-on-male, female-female relationships. And, you know, and, 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 and we're not saying that the vast majority of people out there who are in the dating world have any agenda. But it doesn't take a large percentage to make people's lives miserable. It actually takes a very small percentage that we deal with in this business where people's lives are ruined over false accusations and that goes viral. It goes, it goes really quite far in how it impacts other individuals who read about this, think about it, have a friend, have a brother, have a sister, have somebody who's been caught up in something like this where somebody for an ulterior motive even wants to capitalize on it, right? Makes an accusation. Somebody maybe has a bit of an accusation and some asshole wants to try and who's related to them wants to say something else about it to try and extract money. These things happen. It's not a joke. People might think this is like some movie. No. People become targets. And 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 I think It'd it's be better scripted bad. if it was a movie. <laughs> it, it probably would be, but but it's it's real. And and it's not a joke. And it goes on in Canada, it goes on in the United States, it goes on in other places. And so we get these inquiries and it's frightening to think about this as where we are as a human population and as a race and, 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 and what it means for our personal interaction and our own mental health. Because it's, Lord knows we've had enough of a test of that now. Um, you know, After the pandemic, pandemic yeah. The pandemic and what I, you know, global warming and all the other shit we see going on, which is pretty detrimental to our, our, our lives. But this is really, really problematic. And it's having a serious impact on people. Getting back to the issue of um, cameras. You know, cameras, uh, you know th there are clear rules in a, in a certain sense. Washrooms, bedrooms is a no go. Is a no go. All right. Yeah. It's just you know, and anywhere. What if it's my bedroom? <clears throat> yeah. No. No. Even if it's your bedroom. Where you entertain people, uh, yeah, that's a problem. Okay, entertain? you don't have. I'm sorry, just the way you said it is the way you entertain people. Well, I know Joseph, and I know he entertains. I have a wife, for God's sake, she's right here. Hi, honey. She's told me all about you. Yeah. Your... He's very entertaining. Exactly. Okay. I heard. I, you know, I know that very much. So, uh, yeah, whether it's your bedroom or somebody else's bedroom, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna dial this back a little bit now. Yeah, Chris, were you there watching, motherfucker? <laughs> well, you did That's put so it. Anytime, anytime. You, you put it on the live feed. That's why I'm telling you, take the camera out. Okay, okay, honey, we gotta take it down. <laughs> all right. Okay, fine. So. Fine. Yeah. So, or any place, you know, if, if it's your living room in which that's a place where sexual activity can normally, you know, regularly occur, uh, foreseeable, yeah, take it out of there because that's a problem. Right. And, and I, we skated this because it was in the living room kitchen I'm area. just thinking there's no place left in my home. <laughs> TMI. Diana's a bit I just, wild. I just have to Diana's a bit wild. You guys uh, were getting wild. I had to say something. That, uh, that yeah. was just for comedic We're effect. We're all a little traditional, you know. Just for comedic much effect. Much to just me and my wife. We're all a little traditional. Sorry about that, honey. Okay. But, 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 you know, it's a good point because, you know, this camera was pointing into a living room kitchen area, which was an open concept. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> I can't. 
Don't edit that out, okay? Because we need we need this over Diana for future episodes, okay? But the reality is we skated it on that one. Yeah. But but still, you know, like this poor guy. And and this I've had many other cases where this motive existed and we've won trials. But it stuck out in my mind because of how broken he was. Like he was just so broken. And um well, the thing, the you know, I'm going to talk about a wrongful accusation because somebody, it was interesting, I was having a dialogue with one of our podcast viewers, and I thank you all very much for for your comments. We've had a lot of comments on one of our episodes. We're going to be and, reading out some questions that we got we will, but, as well. But we've been interacting, and, and, I, and somebody had a very good comment and, and then a question for me, and, and um, it was about a domestic assault case where actually I had a client who, after he was vindicated, literally vindicated, became a friend. And as time went on, because his family law case, where there was further allegations of abuse uh, and issues of alienation from the children, committed suicide. And um, it's a case that I, I never forget because this person became not only a, was a good client, but was a good friend. Um, but this young man who I had on this sexual assault case stood out in my mind because just of how uh, you know horrible the impact is on people's lives. And, you know, on the last episode, we started off by clicking glasses, saying how fortunate we were and we were happy about having a young man acquitted of a, a truly false and vile allegation of sexual assault, which wasn't true. Um, but we, we should step back for a moment, um, leaving aside, you know, that we're happy about it or congratulating ourselves Winning we did a good job and, you know, and think about get the, his life back again but thinking about the, the 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 human impact that he had and his family had for the two years they were undergoing this allegation that was demonstrably false and was just not only stupid in many respects but just bullshit and the human toll like, it takes I just on people. I want to say something. Like but but just, you're going to get angry at me because I interrupted Diana. But I just want to say. I tried to interrupt you, actually. But the human toll is something that maybe we don't spend enough time on when we talk in these podcasts. Is, you know, I've had a client who was a friend who committed suicide. Um, you know, I've had this young man who has a wonderful family who's never been able to marry because he just can't, he's lost the ability to trust people. And then this young man who we successfully defended recently, amongst so many others, who are so devastatedly impacted by these accusations, we cannot lose the human element of how this hurts people, okay? So I'm going to shut up for a moment so all of those who don't want me to interrupt. No, what you said is very important, right. but I just, I just wanted to, you know, and I'm echoing what, what you just said too. And uh, um, I was helping this kid who was about to graduate and when he was accused yeah. and he almost gave up his degree. And he said the hardest thing for him was going into the university because he looked around at all the other guys his age and they're just like, you know, my life should be like that. My life, yeah. you know, should be normal. And, and he just, he had more trouble being around people his own age than when he went to his job where he was, a, you know, just an amazing young man helping people who had disabilities playing tennis and stuff like that. He was totally great going into his own job because he was working with older people. Yeah. And, you know, but being around other people his own age was just devastating to him. And I said, look, think of it this way. 
It could have happened to any one of you in that classroom. When you look around, what you can think about is the fact that you know something that they don't know and you're going to get through it. And it could have easily happened to any of them and they're just lucky that they don't have to know it. Chris, what's the most emotional... What, what, what case impacted you the most emotionally? Something that really hit, hit something in the center of you where you had a client who, you know... Well, it's really hard to just narrow it's like down. It's like a big therapy session. But. Yeah, no, it's it's hard to narrow down. It's funny you talk about a client who, you know, committed suicide. I've lost, I think I'm up to 14 clients yeah. that have either passed away uh, at their own hands uh, or have been murdered, uh, unfortunately. Um, one One situation that, uh, you were just at a funeral. I was just. That's uh, terrible. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, it's you know the mother called me because uh, I actually went to. I knew this kid from, you know, I started representing him when he was a young offender, uh, a, a young person, and he, uh, you know, had some behavioral issues and. It just, he got kind of slotted into, okay, well, now you're going to go to a high school where it's only people who uh, have had trouble with, you know, the regular high school system. And then once you get a criminal record and this, that, and the other thing. He graduated from college and his mother uh, contacted me and said, you know, you want to, we really want you to come to his graduation. You've been with him since... You know, he was like 15, and, you know, he was in his early 20s by then. Uh, and I was one of the, you know, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, one of the only adults outside of his immediate family that knew him the longest and so on and so forth. So, but you were there. I was there. I went to his graduation, and, you know, it was great. We got photos and, and whatnot. And then, uh, lo and behold, he was, uh, you know, he was murdered just... Um, just recently so you know what 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 people don't understand and i think you want to get across with this i know it's a bit of a divergence for what we we're talking it's about a bit of a downer um no but you know what this, part is, the of what this is the human element and, and lawyer. what's important is the life experience of some people that that our public may look at and look down at they don't understand how they are viewed sometimes by the criminal justice system by police by government by politicians and their policies they don't understand what the life experiences of some people who are caught up, who are particularly vulnerable, particularly in a racialized community where it is very, very hard to get out of labeling and stigmatization and get ahead. And you just keep getting beaten down. And then shit just keeps happening to you. And then this poor young man got murdered. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, even within the criminal defense field, you know, it's hard to get past just what's on paper, the criminal record, right? And to see people, what they are beyond that, uh, you know, and you sound like a bleeding heart, um, you know, uh, liberal, but the reality is there's a different facet to everybody, um, including those who, you know, in this case, he was somebody who had committed a number of offenses over the years. But, um, 
you know, he was still a, a human being who had, you know, aspirations and was certainly, uh, his yeah, and life but, was and, cut and short. But for other opportunities and guidance might have gone on a different route. Well, and, 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 yeah, no, it's it's funny. He uh, at one trial I had, I had him testify, and I thought well, he is uh, by far the smartest uh, client I've ever had. Most articulate young man who, who testified, uh, and he had been actually accepted into the uh, University of Toronto's um, uh, paramedic program, and he uh, he had been and. Uh, he had to do one of these these years, bridging years, right. uh, where he had to do a number of science credits and, and whatnot. So he's on a, you know, he's about to, about to start that. But of course, he gets arrested for, you know, some drug offense, and then it's breaching his bail, and then he's in custody, so he can't get bail. Uh, and so he can't do his... <laughs> <laughs> that particular program. You see all this. I mean, this is the no, most incredible yeah. thing to no. me is yeah. that people think that lawyers are just in it for money or they don't really care about their if clients. If we were in it for money, stuff. we'd be commercial lawyers. Uh, yes. Let, let's make this yeah. clear. Yeah. If we were in this for money, I wouldn't be doing this. We would be commercial lawyers. Yeah. Making like, the important a lot of money. The story is like, without trying to depress people too much, it's just like, it's so clear how much you cared about your client. Oh, and, yeah. and that's something I think that's really important for people to understand right now is that, like, you know, that lawyers aren't just, like, you know, better off at the bottom of the sea or something like that. Like, there's, there's compassion that goes into these cases. You get to know these people, and we know more about their lives than the media reports stuff about people, and they, and they misreport what happens. And the people who know the real story are the actual lawyers. And... You know, this type of emotional connection and this, like, you know, through my Lighthouse project, like, I was, like, as you know, bawling my eyes out. Yeah, you out. broke down last week. Yeah, I had a breakdown because I wanted to do more and I felt so helpless for this person. It, it, you know, it takes a toll on us. We, we, we help people, not only in the criminal law context, but in the social context. And in, in a lot of cases I deal with, in, which has an overlap with family law where I try and help them and guide them to lawyers and, and try and navigate that. We, we get more involved, and many other criminal lawyers in Toronto. There's a lot of fantastic criminal oh, lawyers absolutely. in Toronto, and, and, and they do the same type of stuff we do. Um, but maybe not as well, just kidding. But, um, but you know... Cheers to that. No, but we do, uh, we do a lot to try and help people, and that's what's so great about the criminal bar which is why I think the criminal bar is so fantastic. It's collegial. We try and help clients. We try and go the extra mile. A lot of lawyers will help other lawyers. This is a really great bar. We're really privileged to work within the criminal bar because we do have great colleagues. And, and to a large extent, we have great crown attorneys we work with. But the problem is this system is stacked against people. When you're charged with an offense, you're f***ed. You know, I had a client, well, a potential client who came in to speak with us, I'm going to be very vague on circumstances, but just because of a sheer allegation arising out of a high-conflict divorce, may lose his job. Well, yeah. so we have questions from viewers, because I think we but have to get just, to questions from viewers. Here I am. You're going to get pissed off at me again. Just one second. Let's pause on this for a second. A high-conflict divorce, an accusation which seems demonstrably false on its face, where the police have no choice but to, to lay the charges 
because of the mandatory policies that are in place by our government officials who are pandering to interest groups so they can get votes, he's going to lose his job. So what does that mean? Well, he may not be able to support his children, won't be able to provide support to his wife, the accuser, which he was willing to do. And his life, in large respect, may be over. And in my office, on the couch in my office, was so demoralized that he was having a hard time seeing a way forward. So again, this is the human aspect where we talk about how these things impact people. We need to rethink how we treat people who are accused. We need to root out the false accusations. And even where people are convicted of offenses, we need to rethink how we deal with them in society and give them a second chance and support them for success and not set them up for failure to wind up back in the whole vulnerable circumstances that can lead to their death or their own suicide. And this is not a f***ing joke. It's real. And people may not give a shit about them, but we should. Well, so that's kind of a question from viewers because people can actually send us questions at notonrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And we had a whole bunch of, of questions that came Can we in. do that promo thing too? Click whatever. Yeah, like if you're watching this video still, hopefully you are because like, you know, it's been fascinating and emotional and compelling and all this other stuff. Like. So if you're enjoying it as much as I am, click like because you liked it. Share it with all your friends and subscribe to the channel so you can see the next video. And if you're on Apple, then leave a review because that's what people on Apple do. Um, but we did have a question and we're, we're going to try and get to, we had a whole yeah. bunch of them. So we had to whittle it down. Some people Are we sent still going to get to the appointments of Justice of the Pieces? Maybe. Please don't leave that out because okay. it pisses me off. <laughs> okay. So. And I'll be calm. I promise so, I'm not going to be a psychopath. Okay. I promise. Lies. So, so David had a son us a question, um, you know, asking us to do a podcast on uh, false allegations connected to child sexual abuse and divorce proceedings. Oh, calm down. Give me some. See, we share. Share, share, like. Even saliva in this office. <laughs> I think I poured some of my drink. Or double packs. No, I'm good. Thank you. So, so we kind of addressed that a little bit, um, but we have had a lot of questions. And, Sorry, and I'm repeat really, the, I, I missed the question because so, this guy was Well, it was kind of connected to what, what Joseph was just talking about. It's like we were asked to talk about um, child sexual abuse and divorce proceedings. Oh, f***. Right. We so, have a ma- you and I have a Wednesday well, we could go this on. week. This is a whole other yeah. podcast where we could get into how often this happens. But you were just telling a dramatic story about a guy we met with recently and, and that had exactly to do with that. Yeah. And uh, he, he was, uh, she was defeated in the family court process, so she pulled out the next silver bullet, you know. That's right. what they call it online, the silver bullet, is sexual abuse. Um, but we have other questions that I want to get to here. Lucas says, can you talk about the significance and potential implications for both men and women of affirmative consent? And first of all, uh, we're just going to briefly skim uh, answers on this. And like a, a lot of these questions are great, and we could do a whole podcast on it. But and thank you briefly, again for sending in the questions. It's yeah. great. There's a lot of them. I'm sorry if we can't get to all of them because some were very long, and we only had so much time to review everything. But thank you. Keep them coming. Yeah. So affirmative consent we've kind of touched upon in, in other podcasts. But explain it again. So affirmative consent means that you have to have active, ongoing, verbalized consent from uh, the female, right? Who cares if it's the guy? Yeah, you can Nobody gives a shit about the guy. Right. So. Do you want to act it out, Chris? <laughs> not a second time. No, not after. Okay. Yeah. 
Maybe we haven't had so much. I had my hopes on it. earlier in the, the, the night. The, the, the problem was... No, but repeat that you again. You know me. I actually have acted things out in the office with... You, know, you had you bought dolls colleagues. so that you could reenact have, what happened in a car. dolls to reenact stuff to see if it's actually possible. Literally. So we, 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 we Diana got dolls that we could then fit in a scenario... Uh, as per the case that we had, so we could see if this was physically possible. It was great. It was fun. But I'm just, creative. I need you to repeat, please, Diana, about what affirmative consent is so everybody really understands the implications of what this means for human relations. Right now, we have in Canada a sketchy version of, you know, uh, communicated consent, which I think has gone a little bit too far, but it's not as bad as what's being asked for. Right. So, um, confirm. Uh, Consent right now can be um, can be communicated through words or actions. Right. 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 So what affirmative consent? So physically, consent you can wants, express consent. Yeah. By all by sorts reciprocating. Of, right. So or what they want is affirmative yeah. consent that has to be verbal, active, and ongoing. So every time you change your activity, you have to actually stop and ask for verbal consent. Essentially, that's what it is. What would it do? It would kill sexual relations between anybody everywhere. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. Is, that's is that alive in any jurisdiction yet? No. They're California and New York are considering. Yeah. It. They're like considering. It. it hasn't happened yet. And in California, if they do that, their sexual assault crime rate will go up through the roof. But, but just think about that for but a moment. But their conviction rates will go down. Probably. But you know, think about that from a humanistic standpoint. Are we going to go to the point? where we no longer want to enjoy life. Right? I don't. Well, I, I can't have cameras in my house anymore. So. No, but... Like, but, but <laughs> yes, we told you to take yeah, those you, out. You, but. You'll, you'd love cameras. But the joke is... Just continuing the joke, everyone. No. <laughs> but, you know, the, the reality is... My life is actually very boring. <laughs> I just work. You don't. We go out for wings. We have... You know, all right. What's that? One eight hundred Johnny Love. Let's give a shout out. One eight hundred Johnny Love. Johnny Love, we love you. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, like it's crazy. You have to stop. You have to ask. You have to get. You know, maybe there's some mechanism to do that, but it's not natural. We are so far from what we are as human beings. And the we way people creatures. engage in sexual, you know, communications with each other, if they want to change the way human beings are, they're going to have to give us a bit of time, at least give us a window. Like, no, we have to evolve genetically. We have to, well. we have to evolve genetically to f***ing robots. Because genetically, we are what we were 10,000 years ago. We have basic instincts. And we enjoy these things, and it's natural, and some, and the majority of the time it's loving, and it's caring, and it has wonderful purposes, and it's great for everybody, and it's mutually but, fulfilling. But, but the, then we take it to an artificial point where we just take all the f***ing fun out of it because a few f***ing people in this f***ing country and other countries can't enjoy fun and can't, dis can't distinguish between what's abuse and what's not abuse. Right. So we're going to artificially f*** it up for everybody else in the world. And this is bad. But but what it is, is people who are proponents of this are banking on the fact that in their personal relationships, they are not dating that one crazy person yeah. 
who is prepared to make an allegation. The unicorn. The unicorn. Right. That's it. That's it. And that's that's you know because if you actually applied this universally, we would all be criminalized, men and women. That's right. But you bank on the fact that somebody is going to not report you. And the proponents of these sorts of um, laws are those that bank on the fact that they're not going to be reported for their own behavior, which is but, but just think absolutely about that. terrible. Well, so, it can never happen to me, right? Exactly. No, but, but, Until but, it happens to you. But, but, but this is where I never thought it could happen to me. Bingo. But this is where the government gets into our bedrooms, gets into our sexual lives. Where the f*** will it stop? Where will government stop regulating our lives? What's left as a human being? Honestly. What's left? What's a more basic... I know, you're pointing at your masks. I, I understand what you're saying, but... COVID mask, but, but well, I disagree sex. with you anyway. But sex, like people were late in their bedroom. There was some bizarre, you know, direction from Teresa Tam at one point saying people should wear masks when they're having sex with each other. Wasn't there mm-hmm. an actual directive on that? Yeah. Yeah. That's how crazy we're getting right now. Yeah, I, let's leave that to another episode. You know, right. so but, gonna, but look, COVID's, but, 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 COVID's but how, passed between a certain level of fluids, not all fluids. That's correct. what she's saying. But, 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 let's, but let's just pause on this for a moment. How far do we want to let our government, our legislators, these politicians, these poli- look at our politicians, look at them, assess them. Do you want them dictating what you do in your bedroom? how you have sex, how you relate as a couple, how you love each other. Because sex, to me, is love. No, but it is. Honey, thank you for being here. But it is. Do you want your legislature, do you want your MPs telling us how to make love? Well, I don't. Fuck you. Get out of my bedroom. No, so, really. So- I, yeah, so I'm going to Affirmative consent. I can't. With a, with I can't. This is crazy. You know, yeah, let's take it another way. It is. The Supreme Court of Canada and our criminal code says you can't be unconscious and consent to sex. I kind of get that. Okay? I do get that. I don't think you he need wants to put... that anyway. It's called starfish. It's not pleasant. It's not cool. And my, but, you know... You're, you're just kink shaming at this just point. Just wait. Just wait a second. Wait a second. Wait, one moment, okay. okay? Hypothetically speaking. I'll give you two moments. Just go ahead. Just please, just one second. You have a loving, bonded, great relationship. You guys are into each other. You have a really good sexualized relationship. You love each other. Part of that is, hey, honey, wake me up with a sexual act. Oh, very common, yeah. And so the unique thing is that how many but women- spell that out criminally. How many women say, I'm Men. gonna wake you up with a blowjob. And they're not criminalized. But if a guy puts his hand over his, as we talked about in a previous podcast, puts his hand over his wife's breast. We have a f***ing case. A f***ing case. Have, yeah. This is where I'm going nuts and you're going to bleep the shit out of me. Where my f***ing client is charged with reaching over during the middle of the night or the morning and hugging his wife and his hands on her breast. And it's a sex assault. Really? Really? That's where your tax dollars are going. That's what we're legislating. It's insane. I'm doing the pretrial on it next week. It's nuts. 
I don't even know how to write up the f***ing form on this. Hand on tit. Wrong. Like, I don't get it. They're married. He woke up and hugged her. Oh God, I'm yeah. sorry it raised the breast. Give me a break. But okay. seriously, let's... So let's... Just give me one more minute. Let's say you're in this loving relationship. It won't be a minute. 70 seconds. You're in this loving relationship, and that's the way you like to interact. But the criminal f***ing code says it's illegal. So every time you do it, it's, it's an offense. Guys, just... Come in here. It's a criminal offense. What are you? It's a criminal offense. You preach it to the choir. No, what do you want me to but say? We need people to get this. It's a criminal. The criminal code. Our government said it's a criminal offense. Instead of just leaving it out of the criminal code and leaving it up to search oh. situations where it really is a violation of a woman's privacy or a man's privacy, where there is an abuse, but we legislated you can't enjoy that type of sex. That's crazy. Am I alone? Wow. If I'm alone, let me know. Send a comment that Joseph's f***ing crazy. Because I don't think this is crazy. I think the government's crazy for this. <laughs> okay, no, but... I I'll just, be quiet. No, I, I just want to say the final question, and there's a whole bunch that are very similar to this. How do people find out what's really going on in court? Can they look up decisions? And the answer is yes, you can. Yes, everything's there published. There is a legal database in Canada, U.S. I think they have one, but you might need a subscription to it. Just take my, my my heart rate and blood pressure. Go ahead. I know it's like it's part of my job. Just calm down. Yeah, and I think this would calm me down. So you can actually look up on uh, in Canada. You can look up decisions on a website. Uh, fantastic one. Can Lee, C A N L I I dot org, canlee.org. You can go in there and you can search for um, decisions. You can put in quotation marks if you want phrases. You can look up um, what's happening. So I search sexual assault every single day to see what the new decisions are. You can sort the decisions by the newest decisions, by the highest court decisions. Um, you get, unfortunately can't multi-sort by the, the highest court and the most recent. But, but yeah, you can actually look up these decisions on your own. And it's going to be terrifying for you. So when you get terrified, you can call Joseph Neuberger and partners to help you make sense of what it is you're reading on Canly and figure out whether or not... Hang on, let me find Chris's well, cell phone no, number. No, wait a second. I, uh, we're not going to explain... <laughs> No, well, <laughs> just give free legal. I'm just saying, it's like if you're accused of something and you go, no. and you want to go because, like, I have a nonprofit, so I get different messages than you guys do. Yes, I get oh, messages I from people saying, you know, am I? F yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's like, okay, you can go on canly.org and yeah, you're f yeah, get a good lawyer. Yeah, and uh, okay, can uh, I just talk about this? Okay. Please, I know we're running a bit long, but I don't want this cutting out. Okay, so here's something important to me, and I'm going to do this in a calm fashion. No, you won't. So our provincial government in July uh, or June pronounced 41 new justices of the peace appointed to the Ontario Court of Justice effective July 8th following changes to the Justice of the Peace Act early in the pandemic. Fifteen of those appointees have careers with Canadian Armed Forces, various police services, border services, or parole officers, so in correctional services. Now, just to explain briefly, 
I'm going to now. A justice of the peace is a member of the judiciary where they preside over certain matters, most importantly bail hearings and issuance of something called a search warrant so they can get into your f***ing house, your f***ing car or private areas. They can review a search warrant and authorize it so they can do that, right? Correct. Now, there may be very good people who are from law enforcement, former police officers, correctional services, or armed forces, who are deserving and very good of this. The difficulty I have with this is there's a message being sent by our provincial government. We want to stack it in a certain way. And other people have said this as well. Because there are a lot of lawyers who apply for these jobs and don't get them. There are a lot of people who are balanced on both sides. Being a defense lawyer, having done some crown work, having experience in other areas, who don't get these jobs. And I'm not saying anything disparaging about somebody who's a former police officer, because many former police officers we know we're friends with and would be, make great justices of the peace. But this is an incredibly strong power. Overseeing a bail hearing determines somebody's liberty at the early stages of a proceeding. It can have a profound effect on somebody who's vulnerable and doesn't have access to resources. It can result in somebody just saying, F*** it, I'm pleading guilty because I'm stuck in jail. Or the warrant that's issued, which is deficient, meaning it sucks, but it's going to get issued anyways for a search. And we need to be careful. I think we need to be very careful and judicious about who we appoint so that we have a balanced approach to this. Or am I just crazy? Well, no, I completely agree with you. I haven't looked at the whole 46 or 41. 41. Uh, the last 16 I took a look at, and I couldn't help but notice that not one single person was a lawyer. None. Which, you know, to understand, um, just for context, if you want to apply to become a member of the judiciary, like a, you know, a Ontario Court of Justice or Superior Court, you'd have to have a minimum of 10 years of experience as as a member of the bar, as a lawyer. Being a lawyer. In this case, uh, to preside over bail hearings, to preside over search warrants, and also all sorts of cases, right? Like, you know, traffic court, uh, you know, you might think it's just about speeding. I once did a case well, where, a, you know, the person got sentenced to six months in jail. We've got all amendments. Right? 40 kilometers are over in an 80 zone right. is stunt driving. One of the first one of the first things that you asked me to help you with. I watched you in your, your nine-year-old Kia. You didn't break that. One of the first things you asked me to help you with. Just don't was park in the back. A guy who had a warrant issued against him. Right. Drugs there and guns. Nearly no evidence close enough to, Zero. to get a warrant against him. Zero. Zero. And Zero. that was a more experienced judge, justice, yeah. who issued that warrant than what's now been appointed to the bench. Correct. So, you know... But but I will say this. You know, we've had a recent... tossed as well. We had a recent so bail hearing on a very success. complicated case with the Justice of the Peace who did a fantastic job in his analysis and did a, a really good written ruling. But, and, and we don't want to disparage anybody, but we think the trend is not right. That's the issue. And I can tell you that, like, helping Chris with this case was the first time I've seen a similar, I was looking into this type of a situation with warrants. I was shocked. I was devastated on how easily this warrant was issued. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very shocked. fair comment. Yeah. I, I think, you know, Chris can speak to this. I know we're getting a little long on this one, but, you know, it, 
we're, we're worried about overreach of government. And we're worried about becoming too much of a police state. And we've seen over the last year and a half concerns about civil liberties. And we've got a pandemic, we've got other issues. But we need to be really careful about overreach of government, overreach of who government appoints. I'm skeptical about what the intentions of our provincial government are in these appointments and the rejigging of the appointment process because we've had really generally a good process of appointing judges in Ontario up until the Conservative government. I'd like to see that maintained. I don't want to see that tampered with. And I don't want to see the government stack the cards in favor of a far more conservative approach because we don't need overreach. Because frankly, we don't trust government that way. We need to be careful. And on that note, cheers. I had a really productive day today. So did I. Thank you. Thank you for watching. Thank you. Like, share, subscribe. I don't know what the f you do. Review. Just review. Just fucking like us, okay? Thank you. Review on Apple. What, I, what about Android? Oh, review. <laughs> Who uses Android? I do, motherfucker. It's good. It's Samsung. <laughs> Good night, guys. <laughs> okay.